Let's do that together this morning. Let's talk to Jesus. Father, on this Mother's Day, God, we praise you for mamas and grandmamas that lifted our names before you in prayer. There's no doubt today, Lord, that we are here in this room because of those who blazed a trail before us. Mamas and grandmas who, great-grandmas who prayed for us and lifted us up before you when we were away from you. And God, we thank you for your saving grace and faithfulness to hear their prayers and to draw us to you. Father, we thank you for the blessings that we've sang today. And we receive and declare those blessings in the name of Jesus over our families and over our homes, over this generation and over the next generation. And Father, we're blessed today to be able to worship you today in spirit and in truth. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this place as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you give these students a big hand for their job today, leading us in worship? I asked them to do something a little bit different today. Normally, they peel the paint off the walls when they play, and they're going to do that two weeks from today on Graduate Sunday. But I asked them to give us something a little bit different today, and I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you were encouraged and blessed by that. Fantastic job, guys. Y'all did awesome, awesome job as always. Man, if you're not wiping your eyes, you, you just you need to talk to Jesus because, my goodness, if that don't get you, I, I don't know what will. Well, happy Mother's Day, mamas. Happy Mother's Day, grandmothers. We're so glad that you're able to worship with us today. I was thinking about it yesterday. Yesterday, uh, it occurred to me that last year on this day, let me grab this real quick, was the last Sunday that we were not worshiping together. Next Sunday will be one year since we've been back together as a church family after all the craziness of, of COVID. And, um, and I thought about, you know, last year we worshiped together. Uh, we, we worshiped online one more time with Mother's Day. And so it's so great today to be able to worship together. Amen? There's a, there's a lot of people I'm seeing today that are, we're just so glad to have you here with us today. Charles and Judy, boy, it's good to see you back in the house of the Lord. Haven't seen you guys in well over a year. So, so good to see you back here today. And uh, man, what a great, what a great turnout. So many of you are visiting today. You're here with your mom or your grandma, and we're so glad that you're here. And uh, thank you for being with us today. Well, today we're going to do something really different and I'm really excited about this, not just because I get a day off, but because you're going to get to hear for, for some ladies who are really going to speak into your lives today. Uh, we had planned to do this last year on Mother's Day, and then uh, everything went uh, as it did, and we went with a plan B. But a couple years ago, I was at a conference in Birmingham, and I saw what we're going to do this morning done on the, on, on the stage, and I was like, we can do that at some point at, at Rankin, and we... We have, we have retooled it and brought it home today, and, and this is called Six in Six. So what you're going to hear today is you're going to hear from six ladies in our church, and they all have six minutes each to share with you from six different characters from the Bible. And these are six ladies who are the six leaders of our church, the, the wives of many of our pastoral staff, you're going to recognize them on a, on a weekly basis. They are pouring into you, whether you are here in worship and whether you're in Kid City or in the youth movement, these ladies work super hard. And I told them this morning and I told Tressa yesterday and I 100% believe any of these six ladies, and they'd probably disagree, but any of these six ladies could fill this pulpit today by themselves and preach a powerful message, and they all are very talented, and I hope you know how blessed we are to have the team that we have here 
at Ringing Church of God. So I'm excited for what they're going to share today. So they're going to come and get in place. And will you give them a hand as they come today? And I'm going to uh, kind of introduce what they're going to do today. And so as I asked them to do this a few months ago, of course, they began to pray and Tressa began to try to figure out exactly what this should look like. And so they are going to springboard this morning from a verse of scripture in, in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10. And everything they're going to share today is on the Bible app if you want to open that up and follow along just like we normally do. But in this verse in Zechariah 2, verse 10, and they're going to unpack this today. But I want us to read this together this morning because you're going to hear this a lot. And this is kind of the theme of the day. Let's read together. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. These ladies this morning have strategically picked six women of Scripture whose story weaves from the Old Testament to the New, preparing the way for Jesus. And I believe today as you hear these stories, you're going to find your story in these stories in Scripture. And we specifically want you to see today uh, where these six ladies that we're going to learn about in Scripture, where they are found in Scripture in the genealogy of Jesus. So uh, we're going to let you do a little deep thinking this morning, okay? Because I think it really it helps to kind of fit to see the pattern of, of where we're going to go. And Trust asked me to share this uh, before they jumped in. Now, there's a lot of names that have been removed. This is an immediate, uh, this isn't the immediate family line, but the, the highlighted all caps names are the ones that you're going to hear unpacked today. So we're all familiar with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to start today with hearing about Abraham's wife, Sarah. And then we're going to hear about uh, Tamar and Judah. Then we go Perez, Hezron, Ram, Abinadab, Nashon, Solomon, and then Rahab. So that gets us into the book of Joshua. Then we get to the book of Ruth with Naomi, Boaz, Ruth. We hear about Naomi and Ruth, and then we, we head to King David's line, Obed, Jesse, King David, and we're jumping through many generations, you know, to go from King David to Joseph, Mary, and then Jesus. So all six women that you're going to hear about today are found in, weaved in that family line in that tree today. So uh, before I turn it over, let me introduce these ladies to you. I know you know them, but if, you, if you're new today, we want to let you know who they are. This is Kelly Thornton. Beverly Summit, Tressa Woodard, Vicki Steele, Renee Summit, and Jennifer Coffroth. And all these ladies have a vast resume as moms and as grandmothers. And the only one who's not a mom up here takes care of your kids every Sunday and Wednesday night. And takes care of a slew of kids during the week. So she has plenty of uh, experience. So she is a, a VIP mom, whatever we'll tell her today. So tell her happy everybody else's Mother's Day. So give them a big hand today as they come and share for you. Genesis seventeen sixteen says this, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. And that her is Sarah. Sarah is Abraham's wife. She's one of the first in scripture, comes early in Genesis. And she um, was probably very young when she married Abraham, but we don't know that exactly because her story doesn't pick up in scripture until she's 65 years old is when we start to learn about her. In Genesis 11.30, it simply says this about her. It says, now Sarah was barren. She had no children. And just as a woman today who is wanting to have children and that's not happening for her, we can imagine that that is a difficult thing for her to experience. She probably experienced a lot of emotions, anger, frustration, um, loss, sorrow. Um, and I'd like to say if that is anybody's story here today, whether it's infertility or loss of children. I know Mother's Day can be a tough day 
um, for some. And I hope and I pray that Sarah's story gives you encouragement today. So we first hear, like I said, that Sarah is barren. And then over a 25-year period, we see this pattern of the Lord coming to Abraham and telling them that through Sarah and Abraham is going to come many descendants. A great nation is actually going to be established through them. And we see Sarah and Abraham, every time the Lord comes to them, them being obedient to what the Lord tells them to do. They build altars um, to help them remember what the Lord has promised to them. But for 25 years, they don't see anything change in, in regards to that promise that the Lord's giving them. But then you fast forward, the end of the 25 years, Sarah's 90 years old. And she gives birth to her only son, and that's Isaac. And, of course, a 90-year-old person having a child is miraculous in and of itself. But also it's miraculous because we see Sarah going from what I mentioned earlier, that she's barren, to a state of being full of joy. So this actually changes her identity, that she sees the Lord faithful and to his promise to deliver that child. So about a year right before um, Sarah has Isaac, the Lord comes to her and has a conversation with her. And he asks her this simple question, and it's found in Genesis 18, 14. It simply says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So remember, Sarah did not know the outcome at the time that she was going to have the son. She had only been hearing that for several decades at that point. And the Lord is asking Sarah to check the condition of her faith at a time when it's pretty critical. She was actually laughing at that point at whether the Lord was actually going to do what he told her he was going to do. And she was full of doubt. And that's when the Lord came and asked her, what is it that you really believe in asking that question? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so before we sitting in this room might be quick to say, well, no, we know nothing is too hard for the Lord. We know that logically, but stop for a second. Ask ourselves, like in the midst of our thoughts, our worries, the things that keep us up at night as mamas, those things, how does that really answer that question and we're, in terms of what we believe. And if we think that way, it really should make us wrestle a little bit. It makes me wrestle with that. Like Sarah, we will all have to wait. She waited 25 years, and the Lord still showed up right on time. We will all have times when we don't see a way forward possible for what he says he's going to do to actually take place. And remember, Sarah didn't actually see the full promise. She saw the birth of Isaac, but she didn't see the, the, this great nation being established um, and our Savior coming into the, the world through her, like the Lord promised. So I would say, mamas, it's sometimes who we are raising who is going to see the fulfillment of the promises that the Lord starts in you and me. So I encourage you, anytime that you start to question, go ahead and load that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord in your mind? When things are difficult, when days are long, when you don't see a way, go ahead and get that question ready. And the Lord can use that question to reset your mind and to ultimately do what he did for Sarah, which was he re reset her faith in him in that time. In Hebrews 11, 11, it says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. Nobody else, him. And so I will leave you with this other promise that you're going to hear all throughout today. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord.
Zechariah 2.12 is a continuation of the verse that we looked at earlier today. And it reads, God will reclaim his Judah inheritance in the Holy Land. Now, Zechariah is describing his, one of his visions of the new Jerusalem. And I want to go back and explain what that Judah inheritance, what it actually is and where it started. So in Genesis 38, we read Tamar and Judah's story. Tamar was connected to the house of Judah through marriage. First, she was married to Ur, Judah's firstborn. But he was so wicked in the eyes of the Lord that he was actually struck down. So then Judah's secondborn, Onan, was supposed to be the kinsman redeemer, and then Tamar was married to him. However, he did not fulfill his duties, and he was also struck down. So Judah has one son left. His name is Shelah, but he's very young. And at this point, Judah's probably also a little nervous for his third son. So he says, you know what, Tamar, you go live with your father as a widow and we'll wait for Shelah to grow older so he can become, he's marrying age. However, this leaves Tamar with no husband, no sons, which back then meant no future and no inheritance. Years pass. Tamar is still living with her father as a widow and Shelah is of marrying age and Judah's wife has passed away. Well, Tamar realizes that Judah has absolutely no intention of giving Shelah to her in marriage. So she has to take things into her own hands. She realizes one day that Judah is traveling to a nearby town to have his sheep sheared. So she poses as a prostitute on the way to said town in order to engage Judah. Now, it's also important to keep in mind that back then, culturally, a prostitute would have had a veil over her face. So starting at the crown of her head all the way down to her shoulders. So she would not have been recognizable. So Judah, coming out of the town, he engages with Tamar, but he says, I don't actually have a way to pay you, so what can I pledge to you that says I'll send payment later? And she tells him, your staff, your signet ring, and your cord. Now, all three of these items are very specific to one person, so they would not be identifiable to anybody else but Judah. So Judah goes on his way, and Tamar goes back to her father's house. A couple of months pass, and Tamar becomes obviously pregnant. And someone goes and tells Judah, hey, this woman who's in your family line has become pregnant outside of wedlock. What should we do? Well, Judah is gravely insulted. So he says, you know what? Let's burn her. Feels like a fair punishment. Let's do that. So he orders her to come back to his household. But on the way, she sends the three items to Judah. And she said, these three items are the child's father. Do you recognize them? Which it doesn't matter what version of scripture you read that in. That's always a little bit sassy because it's like, do you recognize them? They're all three words, which of course he does. And he says, at that moment, he declares, Tamar is more righteous than I. Her place is restored in the house of Judah. And through her, Judah's line and inheritance is continued. Now, why that's applicable to us. Tamar's circumstances were very grave. However, she understood that marriage is a covenant and she had covenant rights under that marriage. She had rights to a future and she had rights to an inheritance. And she pursued those rights even through her circumstances. She was not going to let things that happened to her determine her future. She believed in the future that was promised to her, and so she was going to fight for it, and she would not falter through it. She had to do some very difficult things, and sometimes we have to do very difficult things. But through Tamar's pursuing of her future, she not only pursued and solidified her own future, but she did it for years to come all the way through the lineage of Christ. And she had no idea what she was doing, but her faith in her covenant rights under marriage went completely past her belief in her circumstances. And she was not going to let her circumstances determine what she knew she was owed. 
And we have to ask ourselves, how often do we do that? We look at our circumstances and we say, okay, but you know, my faith is still really strong. I'm, I'm, gonna, still, I'm gonna still get this, which is wonderful. But how often do we still pursue that promised future or our covenant rights that we have? How often do we take actions to still pursue it regardless of our circumstance? So today I ask you, is your circumstance defining your actions in pursuing of your covenant rights? And if it is, then we need to reevaluate some of our circumstances and hold that covenant right higher than our circumstances because it is. And just like Tamar's actions pursued Zechariah's vision of a new Jerusalem where they will sing and rejoice, daughters of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Are we too pursuing our covenant rights? Prostitute, Canaanite, idolater, liar. Rahab was living life the only way she knew. After all, worship to her gods wasn't much different than her occupation, not to mention all of the news that she gathered from near and far. Rahab's place of business was nestled right in Jericho's wall and strategically placed so that any travelers passing by would stop in. So when Joshua's spies walk in, she notices and she takes action. She immediately hides them under the stalks of flax up on her roof that were drying. Just as she suspected, the king's men come to inquire of them. And she says, well, they were here, but they're not anymore. You might be able to catch up with them. And so they take off out of the city gate. Before the spies went to sleep that evening, she ran back up to the roof and she says this, I know the Lord has given you this land. And she begins to tell of all the miracles she's heard the Lord perform. And then she makes this declaration. The Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Her next statement sets the course for the rest of her life. Rahab tells the spies to save her and her family for helping them. And they agree. In exchange for their lives, they would save Rahab and her household as long as she didn't betray them. And the sign was to be the scarlet rope that flew out of her window the moment that Israel showed up. Three days later, the spies returned to Joshua with the report that the Lord has given them the land and the people are terrified. Just what Joshua was hoping to hear. And so the Israelites prepare for battle. Rahab gets warning that one more time the Israelites have crossed on dry land through a river. This time it was the Jordan. They are on the move. Just days later, Joshua and the Israelite army descend on Jericho. Rahab goes through the rules one more time. Make sure that that scarlet rope is outside that window. And she looks at her family and says, do not step one foot out that door. And Joshua and 40,000 of his men surround the city. But then something really weird happens. They walk one time around and leave. They did that for five straight days. But the seventh day was different. They changed it up a little bit. They walk seven times around these eight foot thick walls. And immediately the walls begin to tremble and shake. And with a loud thunderous cry, Jericho and its people are exposed to the Israelite army as they rush the city. Joshua tells the spies, go save Rahab and her family and take them to safety. And Joshua and his men burn Jericho down to the ground. But Rahab and her family are saved. Rahab is brought into the family of God. It's believed that one of the spies was named Salmon, son of Nasham, a prince of the house of Judah. And Salmon takes Rahab as his wife. And together they have Boaz, the great-grandfather of David, king of Israel. And the rest is history as we're about to hear. 
What you see take place is Rahab's beautiful story of redemption. Even before the spies came to her house, her heart has already turned towards God and away from her fake gods, even her king. We are witnessing the very moment that Rahab takes a leap of faith and trust in a God whom she has never seen to hand over her life on the promise of a scarlet rope hanging from a window. What a beautiful illustration of God's love. And just as Rahab's life was spared by that scarlet rope, years before that, the Israelites were spared by the lamb's blood over their door that last night in Egypt. And what a beautiful reminder this morning of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you and me. Rahab's story proves to us that there is no person Jesus' blood cannot cover and no sin that his blood cannot cleanse. But that's not all. Did you catch the name of Rahab's son? Her decision to follow the God of Israel not only saved her and her family when Jericho came crashing down, it altered the course of her family tree. Where are you in Rahab's story this morning, Mama? Are you living in Canaan, living life as you've always known it? Maybe it's feeling worthless because of your past, or is there something else on the throne of your life that you're worshiping because we all worship something? Or could it be the risk of leaping into the unknown to serve a God you're trying to figure out? Maybe you've taken that leap of faith and you're living life and living it more abundantly under God's grace. Wherever you are this morning, know this, the identity we have in God transcends far above the broken person we were before our encounter with him. It is never too late to receive redemption and alter the course of your family's legacy. So sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. This is the story of Naomi, the woman or mother who drank from the bitter cup. Naomi's name meant pleasantness of Jehovah, and she was married to Elimelech, which means my God, my king. They were from Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread, which was ironic because there was a severe famine in the land at that time. So Elimelech decided to move his family, they had two sons, Malon and Kilion, across the border 30 miles to the land of idol worshipers. This was totally against God's will for them, but they went because he wanted to provide for his family. So in the course of time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, passed away, and then she had a threefold tragedy happen, as you may have things happen in your life. You can kind of compare yourself to Naomi. She lost her two sons, Malon and Kilion. What deep hurt that was. She was a shell of a woman after that, actually. Now, these boys had married Moabite women, R Ruth and Orpha which I don't know how Naomi acted. She might have had a tizzy fit like some of us mothers would, but she didn't. She, she raised them just like they were her own and teaching about God and God's ways. So she had a huge impact on them, even though she wasn't their natural mother. So before long, Naomi just had this yearning to go back to Bethlehem so the two daughter-in-laws loved her so much, and they said, you know, we'll go with you. So Naomi took her, took them along, and then she thought, well, wait a minute. They should be back with their families. Girls, go back to your families. You know, I can't have children at this age, and are you going to wait till they grow up? So anyway, Naomi, you know the story. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. You know, she was sticking right with her. But Orpha, she trickled on back to her family, just a little tidbit on Orpha. She married Anak, 
the Moabite warrior, and they had Goliath and three other giants. So talk about payback. So anyway, uh, after that, she got back to uh, Bethlehem, and her friends are like, oh, Naomi, Naomi, is that really you? Well, you know, time had taken the toll on her. And the grief had taken the toll on her. They didn't recognize her. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Have you been there? Don't call me beautiful and pleasantness. Call me bitter. Mara is who she wanted to be called. So after a time, Bethlehem uh, began to do well with its crops. And Elimelech had a nephew named Boaz. And you know, his father was Salmon and his mother was Rahab. So anyway, she did a little matchmaking, and um, uh, uh, Ruth went into the fields to glean, and before long they were married, and then they had Obed, which was the father of Jesse, which was the father of David, and right on down the line to Jesus. So you know that story there. But, you know, she laid this little baby on her lap, and I'm sure that joy was just in her heart at that point. And she was uh, rejoicing because her friends was like, oh, Naomi, God has given you a son again. And your daughter, she's better than seven sons. So she must have been a really good daughter-in-law. So anyway, so here Naomi's joy has been restored. You know, Naomi thought, as we do sometimes, that God was punishing her. So she was willing to accept that punishment you know, that this is my lot in life, so I'm going to just go along with it. You know, I've lost everything because we were disobedient, but no, God restored her. In Zechariah 9:12, Jack, if you'll put that one up, it says, return to the stronghold, return to the strong tower. You prisoners with hope, today I declare that I will return double what was taken. So that scripture really speaks, doesn't it? And the main points of this is that God has not forgotten you. You are not defined by your past. God loves you, and if you would trust in him, he will restore you to life and joy. And the scripture that we have all been looking at uh, today in Zechariah, Jack, if you'll put that one up. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. And I'm sure Naomi did. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Amen. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. One meaning of Ruth's name is something worth seeing. Ruth is one of two books in the Bible named after women. It is the eighth book of the Bible, and eight is the number of new beginnings. It's a beginning-to-end story that includes famine, begging, death, lost relationships, new locations, new relationships, tragedy, and blessing, and all of it was part of the plan. Ruth is a Moabite. She is a Gentile that marries a Jew. But her courage and loyalty to her mother-in-law will serve in place of genealogy as she is mentioned in the lineage of, lineage of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Ruth is the story of God taking someone from the background and moving them to the forefront. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi heads back to Bethlehem, Judah, and she takes with her Orpah and Ruth. Part way back, as Vicki's already mentioned, she stops and she says, you need to go back to your homeland. Go back to your people. I don't have any more sons. And even if I did, would you wait for them to grow up? Go back. Orpah reluctantly goes back, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And when Naomi sees that she is determined, 
Naomi stops urging her. The story is down to two women, and their common thread is pain. There's probably a whole lot of who would have thought. Who would have thought I would have been divorced? Who would have thought I would have lost my job? Who would have thought I would be sick? Who would have thought I would have been abused? Everybody has a who would have thought. Ruth and Naomi have one destiny together, and it may look bad now, but God knows he's about to hook you up with Boaz. Ruth, with respect to Naomi, represents a return to fullness. God's about to take this pitiful woman's life and move her to the forefront by favor. Favor is when preparation meets opportunity. And if you have nothing and nobody, you are a prime candidate. She's dusty, dirty, her hair is probably matted, and she's begging. Ruth is a famine-starved beggar with destiny beating in her heart. You see, you have to learn to think big in small places. Ruth was probably thinking, I may be begging now, but I won't be begging for long. Chapter 2 has a phrase in it that struck me. It says, as it turned out, or in other translations, it just so happened. You see, it was through a series of divinely appointed circumstances that she ended up gleaning in the field of Boaz, who was their kinsman redeemer. She's begging and picking up what nobody else wanted. But one day, the one who was begging would be the one giving the orders. She marries Boaz, and she owns the whole thing. She stepped onto and started gleaning a portion of what would all be hers. And by Boaz's wishes, she now has access to the very harvest, not just what the harvesters were leaving behind. In chapter 2, Ruth receives everything in abundance, overabundance, from every point of view. Naomi gives her specific instructions about going to the threshing floor, which is a place of breakthrough. Naomi says to her, wash something, remove something, and anoint yourself. You see, a lot of people haven't stopped at the place of sacrifice and offered everything to God, surrendering their will. They still operate. By what they desire. But Ruth said to Naomi, I will do everything that you have said. So Boaz in chapter 2 verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with, with the women who work for me, watch in the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you. Ruth in chapter 2, verse 10 bows with her face to the ground and assumes a posture of worship. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, when praise rang out in the heavens, the angels began to sing and all of the elders and every existing celestial being began to prostrate themselves before the King of Kings. Everything in them recognized that they were in the divine presence of God. Nothing in them or around them had the desire to remain standing because they were all consumed by him. This was a time when they were being called into true purpose. For the angels, it was not time to be messengers. For the elders, it was not time to sit in eternal council. For the cherubim, it was not time to be the manifestation of his work. For all, it was time to worship God. I fall on my face in worship to a presence I am not worthy to behold. I fall on my face to worship him that I respect and show him that I respect the fact I do not consider myself to be equal to his glory. So I lower myself to the floor and put my face into position on the floor because when his presence is being revealed, it only becomes important what he looks like. The part of himself that he desires to reveal to us 
So sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. I want to share with you Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary came from a poor family in Nazareth. No special attention was drawn to her as she was just a plain young girl. She was a descendant of Boaz, which links her to other ladies such as Naomi and Ruth. Most importantly, she was, as, was a humble and obedient servant of the Most High God. Imagine with me, if you will, what takes place in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel, of, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now, a, now the sixth month for her who has, was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What this says to me today is that Mary was highly favored among women. Blessed. Ladies, women of God, you are blessed. God also entrusted her with such a special task of giving birth to the one who would save the world. but also who would save her. Mary chose to believe the impossible. In Luke 1, Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. She chose to believe that God could use someone like her to bring forth the promise. God will use you, women of God, no matter where you've been, no matter who the world has labeled you, he can use you. Even in all of the questions that Mary had, the thoughts, the fears that was told to her that day, Mary rejoiced. Mary rejoiced in the task, even though it was bigger than her. She rejoiced even at knowing what it would cost her. She rejoiced. Luke 1, 46 and 47 says it best. This was her song. What song are you singing this morning? What is your song? My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So this morning... I want to ask you, will you rejoice in what God is doing in you? Even if it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like, are you rejoicing? Will you rejoice in your circumstance? 
Will you rejoice in the leading of the Lord? Will you rejoice in your assignment that God has called you to? Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. The great news is, he has come. Hallelujah. And he is in our midst. Say it with me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Amen, says the Lord. At this time, we'd like to ask all of the ladies in the room to come and join us up here at the altar. And all of us can stand at this time because we're going to ask the rest of you to come up afterwards. So ladies, if you'll come up, we have um, a special gift to give you. And these are crafted by our own little hands. And um, just to remind you of our um, what we've learned today from God's Word. So they're going to hand those to you and um, let it be a reminder of all that has been spoken to you, over you, about you, and about the life that the Lord has for you. The scarlet rope, the weaving of Jesus and the redemption of his love that we spoke of this morning. The restoration that some of you may have already experienced or it's on its way. Let us rejoice this morning for all he has done for us. Does everyone have one? We just want to pray over you this morning and the gentlemen in the room would you come up behind your lovely lady? If you don't have one up here, come up anyway. <laughs> if you're still in the process of that and working on it, join us this morning and pray over these ladies with us. Young ladies, you are to come up too. And you are to get our little gift. It can be a bookmark is what we were thinking, but if your neck is small enough, it could be a choker <laughs> or a bracelet. <laughs> and if there are any children with you here this morning, if you'll get with your mothers. It came up here. I don't know what's going on. All right. So let us pray just a, a blessing over you and that the Lord would seal his word in your spirit this morning for you to never forget all that you have heard this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for the love that you have shared since the beginning of time for us. Your plan of salvation, your plan of redemption, and the men and women throughout history you specifically chose to bring about your promise of your son and all that he would do for us. And Lord, as we stand here in your midst, as we stand in your presence, you know exactly where each lady is. They may have been moms for a long time, like Naomi, or they may be a lady in waiting. Lord, you know where they are, and you know what they need from you and who they need you to be for them. So Lord, we pray that you would meet them where they are, if they need redemption, be their redeemer. 
if they need restoration, raise them up out of the ashes and restore them. Lord, if they have been so wrapped up in the circumstances of life, we pray that they would rejoice in you. Father, if it's been a while since they have pursued you, bring dead things back to life, that they will pursue you with all of their hearts and remind them that nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible when you have it in your control and in your hands. You are capable to do anything. And Lord, we now pray that you would bless them as we sang earlier. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. Lord, touch our generations to come. Touch our family. Touch our children and their children. In our weeping and in our rejoicing, remind us that you are with us, that you will never leave us. And as we hold on to these simple little reminders, flood us, God, with your word that is true and you who are faithful. In your name, we believe and we rejoice. Amen. One more time, will you give these ladies a big hand this morning for pouring into us today? Jack, if you'll show that verse today one more time, I want to leave you with this. That's a prophetic verse that is looking forward to the first coming of Jesus. But can I tell you today that that is also a prophetic verse that looks forward to the second coming of Jesus. On this side of the cross, that verse applies to us. And he still says, I am coming. Amen. Amen. Moms, have a great day today. Enjoy time with your family. We don't have a photographer out in the foyer today, but you're certainly welcome to stop by the photo wall. There's some little Mother's Day signs there that you can grab and have somebody grab your camera and take some pictures with your family. But thank you for being in worship today. Have a wonderful Mother's Day, and we'll see you back here Wednesday night for Family Ministries Night. God bless you.